Morning. This Sunday we have for Sunday school lesson the confession of Peter uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 to 23. This account is all about the way that God thinks versus the way that men think. You're going to see the, the difference in what the people think of Jesus as opposed to what Jesus himself says his mission is and who he is. Even Peter, who gets it right partially and says, oh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, still gets it wrong in so far as what the Christ is supposed to do. So it's not enough just to say that Jesus is the Christ if we have a wrong view of what that means and what it ought to mean for our lives. By nature, our thinking, we're not just a little bit wrong, but our whole way of thinking is incorrect, and that's brought out quite a bit in this account. By nature, we are sinful. By nature, we think that, well, sin, if I've sinned at all, it's just a little bit, it's not a big deal. Uh, even when we think of Jesus as Christ, we expect certain things from him as God and as Christ, which is not really what he came to do. When we think of uh, Jesus as God, uh, Jesus as the Christ, uh, our expectations of that is not really what it means for Jesus to be the Christ. Think of the way that we pray versus the way that God teaches us to pray. Uh, when we think of, well, what things should I pray for? We almost always think of earthly things. When Jesus teaches us, this is the way that you should pray, he teaches us to pray about heavenly things. Our thinking is incorrect. But, of course, God, who is rich in mercy, changes our hearts to think like him so that we comprehend the depth and richness of his mercy so that we can comprehend what it is that Jesus came to do, not to build palaces for himself or for us, but to, to die for our sins. And so that really comes across quite a bit in this account, the difference in the way that men think versus the, the way that, that God thinks. Men think about power and riches. God thinks about the forgiveness of sins. Matthew chapter 16, <clears throat> verses 13 to 17. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Caesarea Philippi was an important town, a very important town, about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee in the foothills uh, north there, right at the foot of Mount Hermon. Uh, Jesus... Jesus says to his disciples, so apparently they, they went away probably to get away from the crowds. Uh, they're not really in the area that is inhabited by the, the Jews at this point. They're kind of in uh, Gentile territory. So Jesus and his disciples apparently have got, are, are getting away from the clouds for uh, maybe the need, need a day off or something like that. <clears throat> anyway, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? So he, he's already answered his question, I am the Son of Man. But that's a title which the, neither the apostles nor a lot of the Jews really thought about or recognized the significance of it. It's a, it's a title that is used very little in the Old Testament. It, it appears once in the Old Testament, uh, and, but it's a title that Jesus uses very often for himself. And so right away we have that difference in thinking. Uh, when we think about, for example, what kinds of titles the medieval kings like to take for themselves, right? And uh, if you look back uh, to the medieval, or any kings, really, 
Uh, they often have whole lists of titles. Uh, emperor of this, uh, uh, lord of this, uh, king of this, uh, ruler of this. They might go on for half a page with all their titles and emphasize how important they are and how great they are and how mighty they are. The title that Jesus chooses, chooses for himself is Son of Man. This term suggests that Jesus is looking all the way back to the very first promise in the Garden of Eden when God told Adam and Eve, uh, one born of a woman, a man born of a woman, would be the one to come to save you from your sins. Uh, so this title is going all the way back to there. Jesus is saying, I am that man, that one born of a woman who has come to save you from your sins. It suggests that what's important to Jesus is not power and might and glory, but the fulfillment of that promise and the salvation of our souls. So right away, right right there in the term, Son of Man, Jesus is telling his disciples who he is. He's telling us who he is, that he came to fulfill that promise, uh, not to create an earthly kingdom, but to fulfill that promise and to die for us. Some say John the Baptist. We know that King Herod said this. Uh, that's recorded elsewhere in the Gospels. Uh, King Herod, of course, was the one who who killed, beheaded John the Baptist, and he probably felt guilty about that. And so that, that guilt is making him think, well, maybe Jesus is, is John the Baptist come back from the dead. So that's Herod's not the only one, apparently, who thought that, but that's what some say. Some said John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Elijah, of course, was one of the greatest, most powerful of the Old Testament prophets. He, of course, also did not die. He was taken to heaven in the whirlwind. A lot of people forget that. They think he was taken to, to heaven in the fiery chariot. Uh, no, the fiery chariot came down and separated Elijah from Elisha, but it was actually the whirlwind that took Elijah up to heaven, not the chariot. It's understandable why it's easy to think that. It was the chariot, it's something you ride in. So it seems reasonable that he rode it to heaven, but actually, no, it was the whirlwind. Anyway, Elijah was taken to heaven in the whirlwind. He, he never died. And so the Jews thought, well, he's going to come back someday. Uh, and in fact, the Old Testament talked about Elijah coming back before the coming of the Lord. Uh, the New Testament tells us that that Elijah coming back before the, the great day of the Lord was John the Baptist, uh, that the Old Testament picture would, would, was not meant literally, that Elijah would literally come back from heaven, uh, but that one like Elijah with the spirit and power of Elijah would come, and that was John the Baptist. But some people thought, well, nope, that's Jesus. Others said, well, maybe he's Jeremiah come back from the dead. Jeremiah was also a very important prominent figure, one that preached repentance uh, and the, the coming of the judgment of the Lord, or maybe one of the other prophets. So there's lots of different answers that many of the Jews gave, but notice what they all have in common. All of them confess Jesus to be just a man, a very powerful man, a very powerful prophet, but still just a man. And so they're all that wrong thinking that views him as a man that not, does not confess him to be the true God. Uh, that's hard for us to understand how Jesus can be true God. It's hard for us to see that because when we look at Jesus, we just see a man. So there's that, that difference in thinking. The hearts of man, the thinking of man, they look at Jesus, they say, oh, he's a man. He's a very powerful man. He's a very good prophet, but he's just a man. But we know the truth, of course, that even though he is true man and he does appear as true man, nevertheless, he is also true God. So they're all focused on the outward appearance instead of the truth of what's in, inside of the, the truth of God. Simon Peter, always the first one to speak up, right? The bold one leading the others. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. So you could ask the kids at this point, well, who got it right? Hopefully all the kids know, yeah, Peter got it right. That's the correct answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. Uh, Simon was Peter's name before Jesus changed it. He's going to change it here in the next verse. Uh, Bar-Jonah, Bar means son of, so apparently Simon's father's name was Jonah. He's Simon, the son of Jonah. Uh, they didn't have last names, of course, back then. It's something you can point out to the kids. They didn't have last names. And so they simply referred to people by their first name and then by the name of their father. Simon, son of, of Jonah. Uh, so Simon's father's name was Jonah. But more importantly, Jesus says to him, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. No one can say, Paul tells us, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There's that wrong, that incorrect thinking of man, that we think one way, and so we can't see the truth. God has to change our thinking to think like him. And so Simon has been blessed, he's been gifted, that his thinking has been changed by the Holy Spirit, by God's word, so that he sees correctly, so that he understands that Jesus is not just another man, but actually the son of the living God, the Christ, who was to be sent into the world, the fulfillment of that promise to Adam and Eve. Jesus neither looked, it, neither looked nor acted what we would expect a God to look like and to act like. And so our eyes are often blind, our thinking is often blind, because we, we don't see God in Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit reveals that he is true God. Uh, that's something the Holy Spirit has to reveal to us. He has to change our hearts. Verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The name Peter is the Greek word for rock. So Jesus is saying to Peter, you are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. However, there is a little bit of a distinction there. Peter himself is not the rock that Christ is going to build his church on. Uh, that's a mistake that many people, especially the Catholics, make about this verse. Peter is a rock, one small rock. Be, by virtue of his confession, you are the Christ, he becomes part of that solid foundation. Uh, God's word is that solid foundation. My... Um, my daughter Kaylee knows and loves to sing that song, B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the work for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. She knows that song. She likes to sing it. She also likes to sing with uh, her grandmother the... Um the song, the foolish man built his house on the on the sand and the wise man built his house upon the rock, the rock which is the word of God. So the rock, the solid foundation upon which God builds his house, his church, and, and nothing's going to be able to destroy it because it's built on a solid foundation that can't be moved, is the confession, the truth, the word of God that proclaims that Jesus is the son of God. He is true God and he came to die for our sins. That rock is not Peter himself, but Peter becomes a part of that solid foundation through his confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Peter is a rock, a part, by virtue of his confession. Not by virtue of he himself, but by virtue of his confession, he is a part of that solid foundation upon which Christ builds his church. That's that incorrect thinking again. The, the incorrect thinking of man is the sand, which is always changing and slipping and sliding. It's never solid. It's never true. It's never certain. It doesn't last. Uh, faith, things, uh, fads come and go. And so Paul talks about uh, uh, not being 
pushed about by every wind of doctrine, not by every wave of doctrine, not uh, going this way with the current fad and the current way of thinking, and then tomorrow some new fad comes along. And so we're pushed back and forth by the waves of thinking. But instead, he says, built up on the solid foundation of God's word, the unmoving, unchanging, solid foundation of God's word. That's uh, what the church of God is built on. In the book of Daniel, of course, you have that vision that God gives to Daniel of the statue, uh, the statue, the head of gold, and the gold and silver and bronze and the feet of iron and clay and those those different sections representing the different kingdoms of this world the kingdoms of this world come and go but then a rock hewn without hands comes and smashes the statue and grows to be a mountain and that rock is christ himself and it grows into the churches built upon that solid foundation of christ of which peter becomes a part by his confession Jesus goes on, verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What are the keys? The keys are the superpower which Christ gives to all believers on earth by which we have the authority, the power to unlock heaven by telling people that their sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ or to lock heaven to those who won't repent by telling them their sins are not forgiven because they will not repent. You could, if you wanted, bring some keys to show the kids and ask them, okay, what does a key do? And hopefully the kids will say, well, the key, you can use the keys. A lot of times they'll just say, well, you'll use the keys to unlock door. And then you can ask, well, what else can you do with the key? So you can use it to unlock or to lock, or maybe they'll say to lock a door and you have to, well, what else can it do also to unlock? But get them to say both. It can unlock and lock a door. And so keys can do that. But you could also ask the kids, sometimes we don't use keys to lock and unlock doors. What's an example of something else we might use to lock and unlock a door? Uh, this, the door to the school and the door to the church can be unlocked with a fingerprint uh, instead of with a, like a metal key. And so your finger becomes the key. Well, here we're talking about heaven. Uh, so how do you unlock and lock heaven? Not with a metal physical key, but through the preaching of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And so... Because Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, uh, because he repents of his sins and believes in Jesus for forgiveness, heaven is unlocked to him. And because he has that truth, that confession, he's able to preach it to others and unlock the kingdom to others. Christ gives us this superpower that we can tell other people their sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ and by that forgiveness of sins, unlock heaven. But it's not just Peter who can unlock heaven, and this is an important point to show the kids. In this passage, Jesus is talking to Peter, but elsewhere in Scripture, in John 20, verse 23, Jesus repeats the same thing. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. In fact, Jesus said, breathe on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. Uh, in this case, Jesus was not speaking just to Peter. This happened after his resurrection when all of his disciples were to gather together. And it wasn't just the 12 either. Uh, there were many of his disciples there, not just Peter and the 12 apostles, but many other disciples. And Jesus gave it to all of them. He gives it to all of all his disciples, all those who believe in him have this superpower that we are able to forgive sins. Verse, we continue with our, our, our 
Sunday school lesson, our text uh, with verse 20 to 23. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. So even though Peter was correct in confessing that Jesus was the Christ, his thinking was still wrong. Because when he thought of the Christ, he thought of God coming down and establishing an earthly kingdom and glory and power, maybe building a nice, beautiful uh, castle, something like that, ruling the world in peace. But in, when Jesus describes what it means that he is the Christ, that he came to die for us, Peter's like, no, 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 that can't be right. Peter's thinking is incorrect. He's thinking of the things of men and the things that men think are glorious instead of thinking like God. And because he's thinking like men, he's on Satan's side. He's being tempted by Satan. So here we see how easily Satan, when he doesn't get us in one way, he easily tricks us in another. Uh, Peter correctly confessed that Jesus was the Christ, but Satan led him to think about of the Christ in a wrong way instead of viewing the Christ as one who came to die for our sins. Uh, and so uh, Peter is, even though he confesses that Jesus is the Christ, he's confessing him in a wrong way. So it's a reminder to us that just because we say that Jesus is the Christ doesn't mean we are thinking correctly. Oh, uh, that's, you know, probably a good first step. But we have to go on to the next step and say, what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? It means that he, that we are sinners and that he came to die for our sins and that we are forgiven through him. You could, uh, a possible activity you could do with the kids is uh, to divide the whiteboard or divide a piece of paper into two and say, okay, what are the things that men think are glorious and good? Uh, what are the things that men think are, are the things of God? And then on the other side, well, the things of God. Uh, the difference between the way that men think and the way that God thinks. And so on the side of the things of men, you might you ask the kids to offer examples, but you might talk about, okay, men think that, uh, well, rule the world by power and by armies, right? Uh, men think what's important is fame and power and glory and riches, uh, that this is what makes for a good life. Uh, uh, what are men thinking about? Men think about uh, what are we going to eat and what are we going to drink and what uh, what's the job we're going to have? So those are all things of men. What are the things of God? The things of God are forgiveness and love. The things of God are he came to die for us. And make sure, especially on the, on the side of the things of God, especially you get to the cross. What is it that Jesus came to do? He came to die on the cross. So the things of God ultimately are the cross of Jesus Christ, which we would never, by our own thinking, we would never think, well, that's the way that God's going to save man through the cross. We wouldn't think that. <laughs> but that is God's plan for our salvation. Uh, God changes our thinking by his word and by his Holy Spirit so that we think correctly according to the things of God instead of the things of man. Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lesson. I'm also going to include a map. If you look up near uh, the top of the map, you'll find Caesarea Philippi so that you'll understand uh, where it is. Uh, and Lord's blessings on your lesson this Sunday.